Today on Run With Horses, we're looking at Nehemiah's project to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. I think there's a good challenge there for us to think about today. My name's Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. There are a lot of things you can do with your life, but I don't think there's anything more important than the call of Jesus to follow Him and be His disciple and to be a disciple maker. Thanks for including me on your journey. You know, I've always been encouraged and challenged by the book of Nehemiah. There are so many lessons that you can gain from the way that Nehemiah left what was a pretty high position, serving as the cupbearer for the king, to go to Jerusalem where things were not looking good. I mean, when he heard the news, he was heartbroken. The wall was broken down. The city was in disarray. They were looked down upon. The children of Israel looked down upon by their neighbors, the surrounding people. And it really uh, broke his heart. So to leave this kingdom where things are running well, and he has a high position, to go to this place where things are not working well, and there's a lot of work to be done, both physical work, but also in just structural work and setting up society has broken down. The culture was falling apart. Things were not being accomplished that needed to be done. So the book of Nehemiah gives you a really good picture of what it looks like to do those things well and honor God as you do them. So as a quick review for those of you who haven't maybe read Nehemiah in a while, you should read a good introduction and read it again. It's a great book. But for the purpose of today, the children of Israel had been in Babylonian captivity, and now they're slowly beginning this process of returning back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And a parallel book, the book of Ezra, covers this same time period. So it's a good book to look at, and you get a different side, a different focus. Nehemiah is looking at uh, the culture, the city, the uh, uh, politics, things like that, where Ezra is much more concerned with the temple and the spiritual life. But they're both concerned with honoring God in all of those things. So they're parallel books. They cover the same time period. Uh, and Nehemiah really focuses on those civic responsibilities of the children of Israel and their relationship with each other and their relationship with God as you think about how he had promised them this place. And they were not fulfilling their role in taking care of the place that God had given them. So this really just broke Nehemiah's heart. So he went uh, to do his part, to do what he could, to take the skills that God had given him to do something about it. So he was greatly distressed. He went to the king, and he received permission to go back and to have all of the materials, the things that would be needed to rebuild the city wall. So our focus today is really this really small, narrow window. I was thinking about this wall that needed to be rebuilt. And there's a lot of things about this that always have been interesting to me. You know, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, and he didn't show up with a lot of fanfare and tell everybody, wow, this is we're going to do all this great stuff. He showed up, and Nehemiah 2.11 says uh, that he went to Jerusalem, and he was there for three days. Oh, doesn't say that he really met a lot of important people or anything like that. Didn't tell what he did in just three days. But then he got up late at night and took a few key men with him 
and he he hadn't told anybody what God had placed in his heart. That's what he says. He he said, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do. He said, nor was there any animal with me except the one I rode on. So he went out, kind of riding around the city wall, out one gate, and then looking everything. The gates were broken down, had been burned, and kind of see what shape things are really in. He had heard the report, but the first thing he did when he arrived in Jerusalem, after recuperating from the trip, because I'm sure this was a pretty brutal trip, he went to look for himself. Before making any plans, before talking to people, he didn't get a second or third hand account. He went out personally and looked at the condition of the wall. I think that's a key point. He went out and saw for himself the need. And as I've thought about that in my own life, you know, when I have been most impacted, most desired to do something, and when God has really seemed to pull at me the most to be actively involved in some project, it's been when I've seen it myself, when I've seen the need, when I've seen the opportunity, when I've seen that there's something that could be done uh, that, that really should be done. It's when I've seen it myself, when I've been personally involved in that, that I've been most motivated to get up and do something. And I think that's part of this. You know, he, he got up and went and he looked at the gates. He looked at it himself. He didn't just rely on someone else's um, report, but he went to see himself. Well, once he had done that, then he went to get the leaders of Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2.17 says that he said to them, you see the distress we're in. So he had seen it himself. He had heard about it, and then he came and he saw it. You've seen it, how Jerusalem lies in waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Then he gave the challenge. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And he goes on and says, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. He came with this vision for what could be. He saw it himself. He shared that vision and got people on board, and they got behind him. They said, let's do it. Let's rise up and build. And then it goes on, that verse ends, then they set their hands to this good work. It was a good work. He was challenging them to do something that was good, that would be uh, honoring to God. And I think that's part of uh, our desire. We think about our role as part of God's family in the church, we want to set our hands to a good work. We need to share that work. Nehemiah didn't come to do it for the children of Israel who had returned to Jerusalem. He didn't come to do it in their place to bring lots of workers. The king might have given him enough people just to do it, send the workers to do it. I mean, he seemed to have the king's favor, but he didn't ask for that. He didn't expect that. And I think that would have been the wrong thing. The children of Israel needed to have skin in the game. They needed to be involved in this project of rebuilding the wall. So he went, shared that need, called them to be involved, and then they said, let's do it. Let's rise up and build. And they committed their hands. They set their hands to do it. Now, Nehemiah 3 then is really the focus, the, the place I wanted to look at 
uh, today, Nehemiah 3 gives this list of all of the workers and tells what they were doing, their part of the wall. So Nehemiah 3 goes through all of these different people in uh, in Jerusalem and, and tells you who they were and what section of the wall that they were going to be working on. So it, for chapter 3, verse 1 says, Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. And that's cool, isn't it? The high priest. I, I don't know your image. My image of the high priest is not that he's really a, a, a strong person who's physically able to do a lot of things. That's not part of his role necessarily, working with rocks and things like that. I mean, he'd have to be physically strong working with uh, the sacrifices, I think, and the wood and all those things that are part of that. But this seems like a different thing. I, I wouldn't expect that from the high priest. But it says they got in there and they did it. And it goes through uh, the different, the sons of uh, Hassanah. They built the fish gate and tells what they did. And it goes through all of these different people. Uh, but it's interesting because everybody did not put their shoulder to the task the same way. Verse 5 says, Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. It's interesting. They had the nobles, the people who considered themselves maybe too good to do this work. Well, they didn't put their shoulder to the task. I think, you know, that's a problem. But for the most part, you go through here and you see even verse 8, next to him, Uziel, the son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. Now, a goldsmith certainly does not have the hard hands of a, this kind of physical labor. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. Okay, this is people making perfume. So they made repairs and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So they did this big section of the wall as well. So and he goes on, and Raphael, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. So this is one of the, like one of the mayors, assistant mayor of the city. He's, he's out there making repairs, and that's going to make an impact on his leadership. You think about that going forward. And it's not just the men. It's neat. Verse 12 says, uh, and next to him was Shalom, the son of uh, Halohesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Okay, the women were out there too. He was there with his daughters making these repairs, doing this work. Um, it's, it's just amazing as you go through this list and see how uh, the priest and the different workers of different all kind of, of different uh, skills, but they were there doing the work. They take part in this project. And in some cases, it says each was doing it in front of his home house, in front of his own house. Others were doing, you know, a section of a wall around a gate. But um, Goldfield, uh, verse 32 says, goldsmiths and merchants, all kinds of people were out there making repairs. They were fully engaged in this process of, let's let's rise up and do this. This is a project that's going to take all of us. Let's get in there and do it. So as you go through the story then, Nehemiah 6, 15 says that it was completed in 52 days. Now, that is amazing, particularly when you go through and look at some of the things that happened in the meantime. You know, they, they continually had a sandbot 
seemed like he just was always wanting to slow down the work, to stop the work. He was one of their enemies that continually wanted to hinder them. So they ended up needing to work with, you know, a sword in one hand and uh, a tool in the other hand. But they did it. And so then in 52 days, they were done. Why? How? Because each one did his part. Uh, Nehemiah 4.6 says that each one for the people had a mind to work. They were single-minded in their focus. We're going to do this. When it said uh, earlier in uh, chapter 2 that they they set their mind to do this, they set their hands to a good work, I mean, they they confirmed that. Chapter 4, they, they set their minds to this task, and they were not going to be dissuaded. Well, as we look at that, and as I've continually looked at this over the years and thought about this work, I mean, this is an amazing feat. And everyone was involved. And I have to think, what a, a time of, of unity and of camaraderie. And hey, we're in this together. The times that that have been the most unifying to me in, in any kind of group are when the group is pulling together to accomplish something that, that seems just almost too big. Hey, we can't do this by ourselves. We're, we're going to need everybody pulling together, and everybody's helping, everybody's assisting, everybody's jumping in there. That's what you see here. And I have to think that this time in Jerusalem would have been an amazing time to have been there. Uh, they were unified. They were working for a common goal. They recognized the importance of it, the value of this project, and they were pulling together. So <laughs> my question for you, my question for me, there's two questions, really. The first one is, do you have a mind to work? I, that's a good question for all of us to ask. Do you have a mind to work? Am I willing to put my shoulder to the task to do something that's worthwhile? And a lot of times, people are willing to work quite a bit when they see the value of it in this life. You know, if they take a job and they see that they're going to get paid for it, <laughs> then they're willing to work. But what about the things that have value in eternity? You know, when you think about this wall that Nehemiah and the children of Israel working on, these merchants were getting paid to do this. You know, the goldsmith, this wasn't part of his paycheck. They put their mind to a task that was bigger than them, and it was bigger than their shop. It was bigger than their personal livelihood. This is something that had ongoing ramifications for their community for years. They were investing in something bigger than themselves. And that's one of the reasons I think it was so easy for them to set their mind to this. This is a big task. It's big. It requires all of us, but it's also a valuable task. This is something that's worth the effort that it's going to take. It's worth the cuts and the bruises that we're going to get in doing this. I think we have to look at the call that God has on our life. As He asks us to be involved in His great work of reconciliation, when He invites us into His work of um, reconciling man with Himself and gives us that challenge to be disciple-makers, it's a worthwhile task. It's not an easy one. <laughs> I, I don't see very often that that God asked something super easy of the children of Israel. Often it was, God's going to do his part, and it's going to be amazing, but it still requires a good bit of effort on their part. You think about even the fact that they were here in this promised land. 
God said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to drive out people in front of you. He still expected them to go and be involved in the fight. He didn't expect them just to sit down and, and eat cookies and ice cream while he wiped people out. He was expecting them to be actively engaged in this process. I don't think that's ever changed. When we think about our life, when you think about your spiritual growth, I think God still expects you to be spiritually involved in that process. When you think about your church and the role that your church has in your community to be salt and light, certainly God is doing His work in hearts and lives, and we cannot do that. However, God does give us things that He expects us to do. He gives us a place, a part in that. And we have to ask that question, do I have a mind to work? Am I willing to commit myself to this project that God has set in front of me? When I look at my church and the the work that we're doing as a group, we're in our community to represent Jesus to people who need him desperately. And certainly God is capable of drawing people without us. He, he does not need us to do his work for him. However, he does invite us to be part of it. And how do we approach that? How do we look at that? Do we look at it as, well, God didn't really need me. I can do whatever I want to. I don't know that that's really the way we're supposed to approach that. I think we should look at it as Jesus invited people to be his disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That idea of taking up your cross is, and evaluating our life, it really is this answering this question, do I have a mind to work? Do I have a mind to follow Jesus? And I think too often we don't. What, what we want is our ticket for heaven punched. We want to be in the presence of God in eternity. We don't actually want to work f- for him now. <laughs> we don't want to be too closely associated with him now. We've got other things that we'd like to do. We're distracted by all of the things that this world tells us are pleasurable, are fun, are valuable. And part of that is because we cannot see that all of the things that this world offers cannot even remotely compare to what God has offered us in eternity. So we're distracted by petty things, and we don't really have a mind then to work. We don't have a mind to open our Bible and really study it and really to know it well so that we have answers when we need answers in our life and so that we have answers when other people that we know have questions and we're not prepared to help them find the answers. So we have to ask that question, do you have a mind to work? What's your focus? What are you spending your life on? Every day you have a certain amount of time You have a certain number of breaths. (laughs) You have a certain amount of energy. It it varies day to day. Some days you have expectations and responsibilities. You have less free time. When you have a full-time job, you have a certain amount of time that you have really not a lot of control over. But you have days when you do have a lot of control. You have days when you're sick and you don't have a lot of energy. You don't have a lot of mental capacity to do things. But you have days when you feel pretty good and you could actually focus on something worthwhile. How do you use that free time, that extra energy that God has given you? What's your focus? Do you have a mind to work? And I think the second question is similar to that. It's where is your section of the wall? I think this is important. All of us have 
a responsibility, a role. We all have a part to play in the building up of God's church, of His family, of His building. God has given you gifts. God has given you talents and abilities. Uh, God is inviting you in to be part of this, and He he says, here's the job. Here's the wall. The city of Jerusalem needs to be protected. Do you have a mind to work? Here's a section that needs to be done. And it's, I think, very similar to the the workers who were working in Nehemiah's day, who were working on this wall. I, most of them, seems like they were working in front of their house, near their house, near where they lived. It was a place that they had a connection to. They should have had, and probably did have, a strong desire to see that part of the wall made well. And I think there's a lot of value in that. I think you care more when it is something that's related to you. I also think you see that, hey, I want this and near me to be taken care of. If enemies come, I don't want the wall in front of my house to break first. <laughs> so they were motivated to do well because it's in front of their house, because it's in their neighborhood. I think a lot of times the gifts that God gives you that you should be using in the church are like this. You have ministry that you're, you're attached to. You, you desire to see change in a certain group of people or a certain kind of person's life, maybe because of your history, maybe because of your background, things that have happened in your life, different experiences you've had. But for some reason, you have a greater affinity with a certain kind of person. And I think often that's where our, our true ministry takes place. God has given you this desire. He's given you this experience. He's given you these gifts for a reason And your section of the wall is often related to that. Not always, but I think often. And we have to ask the question, what is my role in building up the church? I think we continually we talk about Ephesians chapter 4. Every one of us, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just deacons, every single one of us has a role to play in building up the church for ministry, has ministry that we are to be involved in, that we're to be doing. We need to ask that about our church. We also need to ask that about, just in general, God's great work of redemption. What am I doing to contribute to the work of redemption, this work of reconciliation? What's my part in that? What's my section of the wall? You know, it's you hear the, uh, the saying often we think about missionaries, you know, give, pray, or go. Well, I think that's there's some truth to that. And... It could be that your primary section of the wall is to give. Uh, it Maybe your primary section is to pray. But you need to be clear on what, what it is. What is my part? Am I doing my part? Or am I doing someone else's part because I'm too lazy to do mine or because I don't really want to? I'm too distracted? Or am I just not even aware that there's a section of the wall down that I'm supposed to be building? I think if we're not really engaged if we're not really paying attention to the work, what happens is we are uh, not aware that our church has part of the walls down. Our, our church family is not what it could be because we're not doing our part. Can you imagine if, if some of these workers, if the goldsmith said, yeah, you know what, I, I'm just going to keep making gold rings and necklaces. I, I, don't, I don't really want to work on the wall. Well, what happens if the whole wall is done except for his part? Well, the enemy walks around and goes, well, there's an open door. We can just can walk in. So the city's not protected because they didn't do their part. 
Well, I, I think that spiritually takes place in our churches sometimes. Some of us have gifts that we're not really using to build up the church. So there's kind of a weakness in our church. Our church is not what it could be. Uh, some people don't have accountability relationships because you're not there. <laughs> you're not willing to be part of that. And maybe you're the weak link and someone else is, should be investing in your life. Well, that happens too. It's important that we recognize God has given me a section of the wall. He's given me a work to do, and it's valuable. Is it going to be easy? No, not that I can tell. I, I, it seems to me like it's going to be hard. Um, my understanding of the way that Jesus talked about following him, he never gave the impression that this was going to be super easy. And you think of even as the disciples followed him and how often they had confrontations with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. I, I can't imagine that the disciples got the idea that, oh, this is just a walk in the park. <laughs> no, there, there's actually people who are opposing what Jesus was saying in that time. And that worked down to the end of his life where they took him to the cross. Well, so the, the disciples saw that and they can't have come away with that with anything less than, yeah, this is actually, this is hard. This is full on. This is going to be hard. Now, he came out of that grave and he saw them. And what that did is showed them that, oh, okay, there's a deeper level here that I don't think the disciples understood until they saw him out of the grave. Uh, they began to understand the Messiah is not here to release Israel from the freedom from Roman bondage and Roman uh, oppression and Roman uh, rule. He's here to free, free them from sin. He's here to free them from uh, the oppression of death. He's here to offer them a life with God as it was intended to be, not as the Israelites had had it up to that point where it has to be a very carefully done, walk this careful path, and the priests have to do everything for you. No, the, the gates are open. The, te the temple veil is rent. You're able to go directly to God. Your relationship now is different, and you have an eternity promised, guaranteed, based on this sacrifice that they saw in front of them as Jesus went to the cross and came out of the grave. So they had to recognize this, this is difficult, but it's also worthwhile. They had to recognize that Jesus came and he was very focused. He continually told them, I must go to Jerusalem. This is why I came, to see my God, Father glorified, to accomplish this purpose. And he didn't waver from training them and preparing them to be the leaders of the church and to see God finish his work. So, again, the question is, are you ready to work? Do you know where your section of the wall is? Everyone has a part to play. Uh, the job is too big to do with less than full effort from all of us. Uh, we're not going to get away with <laughs> just doing a little bit occasionally when we feel like it. Uh, the job is too big. So we need to have a mind to work. We need to be prepared to put our shoulder to the task. It's worth it. It's always going to be worth it. It's always going to be hard, but it's always going to be worth it. Well, thanks for joining me today. Look at runwithhorses.net, and you can see the show notes. You can follow along. Eventually, we're hoping to add some more resources there. You know, it's been a busy season of life for me. I know it's probably true for you as well. But thank you for those of you who are praying for me. Thank you for those of you who are listening and on this journey 
I am enjoying my journey of following Jesus, and I hope you are as well.